So we did have one of our great success stories in the last round, uh, a woman named Maria. I won't give her last name, but her name is Maria. She stuck with the diet. She taught her, taught her mother about it. She was feeding her community. She, um, she lost, uh, her, her blood pressure went down by 50 points. She lost weight. She stopped having pain in her knees. She stopped. She was able to sleep better. Her moods were better. I mean, just like incredible changes. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life. Let's get started. Imagine that you live in the United States without knowing the English language. You have limited resources and you are living day to day. You may have health issues or you may be at risk for developing diabetes or heart disease. Perhaps you do not have access to health care. What do you do? Now imagine that you learn about a local organization that helps educate communities like yours about the foods that can help alleviate your health issues and that can help reduce your risk for chronic diseases. This organization comes to you. They bring you Spanish-speaking experts, and all you have to do is be willing to participate. My next guest, Beth Love, is passionate about working with marginalized communities such as the Latinx community. By partnering with local healthcare providers, she and her foundation, Eat for the Earth, have been able to bring the Community RX program into the Santa Cruz area to support farm worker families. She brings Spanish-speaking experts and provides culturally appropriate foods. She is fighting for food justice. As always, the full bio and the links for each of my guests can be found on the website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. And also, have you signed up for our newsletter? That's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Maya Acosta. And I also, in the newsletter, send out information about my podcast guests, along with recipes and other programs that you might be interested in. Let's meet Beth Love. Thank you so much, Maya. It's always a pleasure to connect with you. And so I thought maybe we could start a little bit by talking about your story, whatever you'd like to share. I know you've been on before and we can always add a link to the show notes so uh, people can revisit, but we do have new listeners. So I'd love for people to learn how you came to this point of being to, you know, of, of finding Eat for the Earth, creating Eat for the Earth to support your community. And then we can talk about um, all the other stuff that has happened since the last time that we spoke. Wonderful. Sounds so great, Maya. Thank you so much. Yes. So, um, so I've been on a plant-based diet for quite a long time. I was really aware that such diets uh, are the best diet for human health, the best for the earth, the best for the animals, and the best for the cause of a well-fed world, the world in which everybody can eat. Um, but it wasn't my my primary passion in life. And it wasn't, certainly wasn't what I did for my living. It wasn't my calling. For most of my life, my calling centered around children and families, because I had this idea since I was a little child, that if you, um, if we could find a way as a human species to raise our children differently, to make sure that they felt 
loved and cared for and that they had tools for peacefully interacting with each other and um, making a, a positive contribution in the world that we could change the world. That that was the way to change the world to, is, was by changing how we raised our children, by making sure they had what they needed and by making sure that families had what they needed so that they could be those nurturers for their children. And I still believe in that big idea. I mean, I still believe that that's true. And you know, I came to this realization about it's coming on seven years ago now. I came to this realization that all the good work I was doing in the world with the children, you know, with families, with running institutions and being a leader in institutions that were um, supporting this transition and how we treat our children, that none of it would amount to anything if we didn't have a planet that our children could live on. So that realization is what led me to leave my job in ministry, um, in leadership, in a, in a church that I helped to found and to, uh, and to do something. I didn't know what, just something, anything to support a shift toward plant-based diets, because what I knew and what I have learned more deeply because I have immersed myself in the study of it, is that if we do not change human diets to plant-based or at least plant-strong globally, and especially in the developed world and in other places where people are copying these meat-heavy, you know, dairy-heavy diets, if we do not change our diets, we will not have a planet to call home, that we will certainly... Um, have the worst catastrophes of the climate crisis. And it's not just the climate crisis. The biodiversity crisis is being primarily driven by animal agriculture. You know, our freshwater use is outside of the boundaries of what's uh, habitable on the earth. And that is largely due to animal agriculture. So we really need to change our diets if we want to keep calling this planet home. You shared with us in the, our first conversation that you had a history growing up of having endured uh, child abuse. And so you wanted to become an advocate and support children. I myself have spoken about having suffered uh, trauma as a child as well, and how I've spent most of my life working on healing that. Um, on our podcast, because I do cover that the um, under the umbrella of lifestyle medicine, we talk about healing that childhood trauma, and we mm -hmm. talk about all the things that um, affect us and continue to affect our health as a result of um, exposures that we had very early on. So I appreciate that you um, began to do that work. But I agree with you. If we can work on all our childhood traumas and we can work on our physical health, but if we're not helping the health of the planet, then what what good is all of that effort? Um, so now we may have listeners that don't understand that correlation between what we consume and how we affect the planet. And you started to touch on that. You talked about what happens with our oceans. Can you give us a little bit more detail? Yes, I'd be so happy to do so. Animal agriculture has a really negative impact on the earth. Most people think of the climate crisis. Let's start with the climate crisis because it is um, it is an issue that we know if we don't rein it in quickly, that the levels of warming are going to exceed safe levels for humanity and for all of life, for or at least life as we know it to exist on the planet. So let's start with the climate crisis. Most people think that the um, the transportation, the fuels, the energy, that these are the primary culprits in warming the earth. And there's a lot of thinking that, you know, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we started burning these fossil fuels. We started digging these fossil fuels out of the ground and that that caused the earth to start warming. Well, the warming actually started about 10,000 years ago. 
when humans started domesticating animals and clearing land to raise their animals and clearing land for other purposes as well, for feed for animals and also for cities and things. But by clearing those forests, we released all the this carbon di- the uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and we also stopped sequestering it in the forests. And then when we added animals, they're adding um, more greenhouse gases, the methane associated with the ruminant animals, the sheep, the goats, the cows, um, the buffalo, you know, whatever those ruminant animals are. So we started warming the earth a lot longer ago than, you know, the invention of the internal combustion engine. And that warming trend, um, according to Dr. Silas Rao, a colleague and friend of mine, that actually averted us going into another ice age. So in some ways it was adaptive. It was helpful because we started warming the earth. But when we kept um, clearing forests and we kept growing more animals, even before we started the fossil fuels problem, we started to go um, past the point at which it was helpful. And so now we're in this situation where there's way too much warming. So if you take the fossil fuels out of the equation, which a lot of climate activism, climate activists, climate action plans put forth by governments, they focus very narrowly on fuels, on energy. If you actually go to a completely fossil fuel free economy, you take all the fossil fuels out, you do not solve the problem of the climate crisis unless you simultaneously change human diets. Uh, There's a lot of talk about, well, can't we just raise animals sustainably? Raising animals sustainably is not possible on an earth of this size with the amount of people we have because the animals are taking up far too much space and they are consuming far too many resources and it's inherently inefficient. So, you know, if you start feeding cow seaweed, for instance, or there's even these methane backpacks that capture the methane, you know, you do not get far enough to reduce the warming. What has to happen is that we need to drastically reduce or eliminate the animals that the number of animals that we're raising for food if we're going to stay here. So we um, so as we shift our diets, we decrease the demand. We also have to talk about demand. We decrease the the demand for for animal-based foods, we also have to demand the government stop subsidizing these foods because even when the demand goes down, when the governments are subsidizing these foods, the production does not necessarily fall. So we must decrease the production of these animal-based products that people are consuming uh, to bring down the, the warming. And there's a lot of scholarship that has shown that that um, the contribution of animal agriculture to the climate crisis is is too uh, important to ignore. One of the reasons for this is that the emissions associated with animal agriculture, like methane from ruminant animals, like nitrous oxide that is primarily, it comes from manure, but it also comes from the nitrogen that's applied to the fields that are growing the the food for for the animals. Um, black carbon or black soot, which comes from burning rainforests to produce beef primarily or soybeans to feed to pigs. Those, those greenhouse gases are many, many more times more potent in their warming effect than carbon dioxide. 
and they also come out of the atmosphere faster. That's the good news. So if we, as we, as we reduce the amount of animals that we're raising for food, we're more quickly bringing down the warming. I like to use this, um, this sad story that I still drive in a, 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 a gas powered car and that the gas from my car, the emissions, the carbon dioxide emissions from my car, when I drive today, if I drive today, they're still going to be here in thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of years. And some small portion is still going to be in the atmosphere in 10,000 years. So even if we stopped all fossil fuel use right now, the warming the, from the gases that is already in the atmosphere is going to continue. We must bring down the short-lived, the methane, the nitrous oxide, the black soot, primarily associated with animal agriculture. That's just the climate. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to add also so that we can add this in the show notes that Glenn Mercer was on the show, uh, who you also know, he wrote Food is Climate, and he went into detail about some of the things that you've covered, but also what we need to do to bring down that carbon that's already out there, like planting trees, for example. So I just also want to reiterate a couple of points that you made for our listener. And one of them was that we're raised to consume animals. That's sort of how most of us have been raised is that we see food, whether it's poultry, fish, you know, um, animal-based meats, we're indirectly without knowing contributing to these climate issues that we're now facing because of what is on our plate. You also explain subsidizing, which I, I sometimes feel that some people still don't understand why it's less expensive to buy a hamburger at um, a fast food restaurant as opposed to having a healthy salad because of what's of the subsidizing of some of these food products. So it's the way like the system is designed to support the food, the animal agriculture industry. And so I, I feel that it's so empowering for us to understand how all of that works so that then we can take control and, and know how the system is, um, um, you know, kind of moving us not only to affect our planet, but also our physical health. And then the other thing I wanted to also mention that you touched on kind of reiterate is that there are many environmentalists who believe in what you were saying that if we just not drive our vehicles as much, maybe use the bicycle or live in certain areas where things are more available, that we're somehow helping the planet. But from what you're explaining is that, um, you know, food is the biggest way that we can create this change. And so Eat for the Earth helps support people, helps educate people on how to make this change. I love what you're saying. Every time I, I speak with you, Beth, you educate me about the planet. I When I think of you, I think of the Earth because you're such a wonderful representation for what we can do to support our planet. And so I'm learning. I came to this way of life through nutrition first, and then I learned about the animals, and then I learned about the planet. So I'm a, I'm a student as well of all of this information, which is why I like having this conversation with you. Um, but yes, I didn't want to interrupt any thoughts that you had, but I also wanted to um, kind of talk about how you started your organization in 2019 to support your community, to basically help educate at a local level what you're sharing with us. Yes, thank you. I completely agree that the most potent action any person can take is to change our diets. And it's going to take both individuals changing our diets and also governments and corporations changing their practices and changing systems. And governments will not take action to change until enough people have changed and are demanding that change. So it's both. 
we need to work at the grassroots level and we need to work um, we need to work on systems change as well. And that is an idea out of which Eat for the Earth was founded. How can we educate individuals so that they know this thing that is so hidden, as you mentioned, the norm, carnism, right? The idea that Melanie Joy put forth that eating meat is natural, normal, and necessary. And I would add that it's not just about meat, meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, natural, normal, and necessary. Well, none of those are true. Um, but that's the environment into which we're born. That's the environment into which those little children that I've worked with my whole life have been born. And so we think we have to have it and that it's just the way it is. Even though inside, we all know that it's wrong. <laughs> you know, there's nobody that I know that would hurt a living being for their pleasure. But that's what people are doing everywhere, every day three times a day often, but it's hidden because of carnism. It's hidden behind this ideology that this is the way it is. And then it's supported by industry. And there's, you know, sometimes I call it the unholy trifecta of um, industry, government, and the medical system, because they're all propping up this, um, this unholy idea that we need to eat these animal products to be healthy when the opposite is true. It's like doublespeak in, um, in Orwell's famous book, 1984, right? We're being told that we need these things and that we'll be sick. You know, you hear these things about the um, vegan diets, as long as they're properly planned. Well, nobody says properly plan a standard American diet, you know? We are not eating, as people who eat plant-based, we're not eating the deficient diet. The deficient diet is the one that is being promoted as the healthy diet. So as long as that whole unholy trifecta exists, you know, we need to really educate people so they can understand that the healthy diet is the one that eliminates the animal products and the inflammatory processed foods and sticks to whole plant foods, the foods that nature made for us to eat. And so Eat for the Earth educates, but we also work on the systems level. And it came out of this, really, this realization that I referenced that I need to do something to um, take this big idea that is so hidden that we must shift diets to, to plant-based to be able to survive on this planet. I need to take this idea and, and get it out there in the, in the world. So I, I started when I, when I left my job in ministry, I started by just doing food prep classes in my home. And I wrote my first book, you know, for years, people have been telling me, open a restaurant, write a book, you know, do something because the people loved my food. Right. And that was, a, a, that's good. Food is always a good doorway, right? Like you get people, you give people a really tasty, wholesome, healthy plant-based meal. And that really helps to open people's minds to the possibility that they could eat that way without suffering. Right. And so I started just teaching people classes and, you know, starting programs and things like that. And ultimately after about two years, I felt like I had a handful of people who'd gone all the way plant-based and then another few dozen or something that, that were, had changed their diet significantly. And I just felt like I'm not making enough progress here. And that's when I started talking to people, asking what could be done and formulated this idea for eat for the earth, which is really about uh, acting locally 
and participating globally. So making changes to our local community, one of EFA the Earth's primary goals is to have Santa Cruz County be a model of sustainable eating. And sustainable eating means plant-based or plant-rich. Um, and then the other goal is to contribute to the broader global movement. And we've really been able to do part both. We've been able to make some impact locally and also um, make some impact in the, in the larger global movement, lend support to it and be a, a voice in it. I like that you're in California. And this is interesting. Recently, I was looking at the statistics for my podcast um, because my husband asked me, he's like, where is your largest group of listeners in the country? And so I said, Dallas, of course, you know, because I'm local or whatever. Well, guess what city or even what state is the number one listener of this podcast? California? Yes, <laughs> California. <laughs> and more particularly, more specifically, Los Angeles. Oh. And so I I was interested in that. And I, I started this conversation with my husband about why is that? Well, I think it's because in California, people are a little bit more aware, a little bit more advanced, I think, in terms of how we're affecting, um, you know, just all these other issues, health issues, global issues. Um, but then you also see people more interested in the alternative health and then local supporting local um, farmers and, and producing, you know, having more organic foods in their diet and all of that. So I thought I'd share that with you. Tell us about how you started your foundation. You sort of already shared with us a little bit about you started in 2019. Can you give us a little more details of that, like the collaborations that took place to create Eat for the Earth? Okay. Yes. So I had uh, built a little bit of a list when I was in my kind of exploration phase. So I had built a little bit of a list for um, my business, Taste Like Love, which is focused on supporting people to learn how to make tasty, healthy uh, environmentally sustainable, whole plant-based foods. And so I had built a little bit of a list and I had done that through, as you said, next door, um, through a, a, a meetup and also by becoming a plant pure pod, we did get a few people come in through the plant pure network. Um, not too many. And also by utilizing my, my friend circle, right? Reaching out to people in my community. So I built a little bit of a list, a little bit of a following. And when the idea for E for the Earth was born, I decided to do a launch and decided it would be a free dinner party with a presentation at which I would um, tell people about the environmental impact of our dietary choices, let them know about E for the Earth, the vision for Eat for the Earth, and invite them into leadership, invite them to volunteer, invite them to become part of the movement. I, I promoted the, the event through all of these different channels. I had talked to a lot of local people as well, some of my friends, and, you know, they were, they, they, uh, were definitely supportive. Um, but so we did this launch and on January 19, 2019, and I had pretty slow signups at first. So the day before, I think I had 18 people sign up, but within the next 24 hours, it blew up. It was over 60 people on the list. The venue was my house and I was making a dinner. So <laughs> I, I made a dinner. We had, you know, most of the people showed up. We had standing room only. And out of that meeting, we formed a, a leadership team. People said they wanted to be in leadership. We got many, many volunteers signed up and people signing up for the mailing list. 
And I just still believe that giving people a free meal is a really powerful way to get people engaged in the movement. So we we started doing the free dinner parties. The first year, 2019, we did free dinner parties um, almost every month and invited the community and got more and more people engaged. And that is really one of the one of the big strategies that we used initially to build Eat for the Earth, to build our community. The second really powerful strategy was to table at community events and again to bring the food, to bring nice food samples, really tasty stuff, very healthy. We don't go out and buy the um, the processed, you know, it, you know, cheeses or meats or things like that. We make whole food plant based treats or, you know, foods and we give people samples at the community events. We we educate them about the impact of diet on the environment. We have literature we pass out and beautiful displays. And it's a powerful combination when people have both the information about the impact of their diet and also can taste something that's really good. They know it's possible that they can make a contribution. This is great. These are Good tools. And I I wanted you to mention the resources once again, just because we may have people that are might be interested in being a pod leader, or we may have pod leaders right now listening that perhaps have lost that motivation and the drive or, or kind of feel lost. A lot of us are kind of coming out of this. We're not fully out of the pandemic, but we're coming out of two or three years of being in mobile and trying to figure out how can we continue to collaborate or even build a sense of community. In terms of collaborations, one of our most powerful collaborations has been with a local environmental activist groups, the Santa Cruz Climate Action Network. And this group is well established in the community. They're well respected. All of the uh, elected officials know who they are and they, they make a difference. But like most environmental groups, their primary focus has been on on fuels, on energy, on transportation, things like that. So one of the leaders of the Santa Cruz Climate Action Network, the founder, met us at one of the events where we were tabling and learned more about the environmental impact of our dietary choices. And she filled out a mailing list form and wrote on there that she was with the Santa Cruz Climate Action Network. So I called her up. We had this great conversation. She invited me to join their planning team. So now I'm on this planning team that really cares about the environment, cares about the same thing that I that I care about, wants our children and their children after them to have a habitable earth and is missing this this expertise in this area that I can bring. So that's been a powerful collaboration because I'm there at the table all the time with them, not all the time, but I'm, I'm part of that. And so I can continue to bring this information and in any activity that they're invited into that the, the food aspect can be integrated. And so now the, the founder of that group, Pauline Seals, the leader, and then all the, the several other people on the leadership team are now also advocating whether they're eating plant-based or not. Some are, some aren't. They're eating plant rich. They're eating primarily plants and they're out there advocating when they're, I don't have to be in every meeting with every government official for somebody to bring the issue of diet to the table. So that's been a really powerful collaboration. We also did our restaurant campaign and that was a collaboration with local restaurants where we had a volunteer who headed up the campaign and she went and talked to local restaurants and she encouraged them to add more plant-based items to their 
to their menus. And we had dinner parties at each of the restaurants that was participating. And we uh, promote them on our website. You know, here's some, some restaurants that are serving some healthy, sustainable menu options. So that's another collaboration. We have had less success with our collaboration with the Board of Supervisors, but we have had some success and it just takes a lot of work. One of the things that happened was our County Board of Supervisors endorsed a statewide measure that will bring more plant-based options to children in schools in California. So that was a, a small win we had there. But getting known in the community, being out there, talking to people is huge. And tell us about Community RX and what what does that entail? We just got funding from the County of Santa Cruz and the City of Santa Cruz to run Community RX. We did a pilot lap, um, in May. We did a pilot in May where we it was the first time that Community RX, a program of plant pure communities, had ever been offered in Spanish. So that was our first, was it was the first time ever offered in Spanish. And what Community RX is, is a, um, a short immersion in a plant based diet and education program. So it's 10 days of eating whole food, plant based, oil free, and 10 days of online education from plant pure communities. And we added some local educational events in person and online to add more to it and to build a sense of community with our participants. We partnered with local healthcare providers. Our, our particular focus was the members of our community who are most marginalized or the populations, let me put it that way, the populations within our community that are most marginalized and that are uh, most disadvantaged when it comes to diets. So, in our community, in our county, um, the Latinx community, like in many places, has less access to grocery stores, um, less access to healthy food, more heavily marketed to by the fast food industry, higher rates of diabetes, higher rates of obesity, and higher rates of other chronic conditions caused by diet and that can be prevented by diet and in many cases healed by diet. So that was the community we reached out to. We have a lot of farm workers in our community. Um, we have many people who are um, who for whom Spanish is their only language, or they may have Spanish and an indigenous language, but they are not fluent in English. So for us, it was not responsible to do community RX in our county unless we could offer it in Spanish as well as English. We asked Plant Pure Communities if they would translate the, the program. They said they would, and that so that made it a go for us. We primarily had referrals in this first round from two clinics that serve the most marginalized community members that we have. So the county clinic that operates in the South County, which is the part of our, our county where most of the Latinx people live, um, that clinic partnered with us and one doctor there was referring people and the clinic serves uh, 50% of its clients are um, do not have documentation to live in the country legally. And on the other 50% are on Medi-Cal, which is our version of Medicare. So they're very, very low income. And then the other clinic, most of their clients are also on Medi-Cal and they, um, that clinic is a nonprofit clinic. So that's how we got our participants. We learned a lot. It, 
it was um, there was more learning than there was impact in the community. But we are ready to launch. We are we will be ready to launch another round and make it much more powerful and really impact the community. And we were able to secure funding. The County of Santa Cruz and City of Santa Cruz are collaborating on a a funding source that goes to community agencies that are bringing that are um, increasing the health and well-being of our community and addressing community needs. And we were able to secure about $88,000 a year for the next three years to do this program. Yes, congratulations. That's, uh, I was actually, that was my next question about funding and then, of course, the curriculum. So the Community RX program is organized and put together by Plan Pure Communities. And then, but you yourself have to secure the funding. Is that what you're saying? So that you can then run this? No, it's um, the Plan Pure Communities, in our case, they, they do provide a program, a standalone program that people can sign up for as individuals or pods can can partner with plant peer communities and can use entirely their program. And I believe that, um, I don't know that anybody's used entirely their program, but what we did was we made the program our own. We made it a fit for our community. In the next rounds that are coming up, we'll be doing even more adaptation to our community because of what we learned. So what what's really solid that Plant Pure Communities has to offer and what I'm so grateful for is they ha- is the Spanish version, but they have a very solid online program that is in English and in Spanish. The Spanish version is different, but they're they're both very solid programs. And they also offer meal starters which can be um, helpful, like a convenient packet that you can mix with your own fresh vegetables and, you know, can of beans or whatever. Um, though the, 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 we're still gathering information, doing the evaluations before we plan for the next session. But some of our populations, we're, we're, we're going to be um, partnering with the Center for Farmworker Families. Their families do not have access to the internet. Um, these are, their families are all people who do not have documentation to work in the country legally. They will not come to an event that we put on because they are afraid that immigration will show up. So we are going to have to work with them differently. So it's going to be called Community RX Adapted or whatever, but it'll be a different program. But the idea is that we got funded to be able to provide education in plant-based diets to our community members, to work with people, to support them, to have the tools that they need, the information that they need, the support that they need, the encouragement that they need, um, the community they need to be able to try out a whole food plant-based diet, see the changes in their health, because there's a, there's a lab, lab comparison of uh, their blood pressure, their, their cholesterol, their LDL, their weight, there's tests before and after. So they can see what it does, they can feel the changes in their body, and then we are here to support them to keep going if they choose to. Absolutely. Incredible. And you're talking about uh, taking biometrics before the immersion program and after? Yeah. So we did have one of our great success stories in the last round, uh, a woman named Maria. I won't give her last name, but her name is Maria. She stuck with the diet. She taught her, taught her mother about it. She was feeding her community. She, um, she lost, uh, her, her blood pressure went down by 50 points 
She lost weight. She stopped having pain in her knees. She stopped. She was able to sleep better. Her moods were better. I mean, just like incredible changes. And we'll be tapping her for the mentorship because we, we provide a mentor. And so we'll be tapping her to be a mentor in the next round. So it's really about building community. It's about supporting community to adopt these healthy diets. And, you know, we're because because of our population, we got feedback that the meal plans are the meal starters are not appropriate for the population we're targeting. So we've been developing authentic Mexican food that um, is whole food, plant based, oil free. And um, it's been very well received. And we're tapping our community. Maria is going to help us. She made the best whole food, plant based Mexican food for the, the last potluck. Oh, my God. It was um Tacos al pastor. She made homemade tortillas. So good. Not a drop of oil, no animal products, all whole plant foods. This is wonderful. You're touching on topics that are I've become very passionate about when it comes to supporting not only women in health, but supporting uh, really raising awareness about the disparities in health care and also food deserts. Uh, you, you mentioned people not having access to healthy food, so maybe food deserts or just not the knowledge of um, how certain foods affect our health. And then you're outreaching to people like the Latinx community, underserved populations, or people that are just kind of forgotten about or perhaps ignored. Who else would bring this information to these communities? So these, are, and then the other thing that you just talked about, which I also love, is the idea of, of providing foods that are culturally appropriate. So if we want people to eat healthier, we sort of have to understand what foods they actually like and then make healthier versions. So uh, my mouth was watering as you were describing the tacos. And I know that you also, um, uh, you yourself make these healthier versions like the tamales, for example, is something that you're working on as well. Yeah. Yeah. My flan recipe, my flan recipe was the, uh, was the big hit, but some of my other recipes went well too. But <laughs> I heard that the flan, one, one person, a uh, Mexican American who's on our board said that was the best flan she ever had. It was made out of, you know, cashews and dates um, <laughs> and uh, not much else. So, you know, not something you want to eat tons of, but, you know, certainly a little bit of flan here and there. But yeah, you know, what you're talking about is, is really food justice, you know, is really is really near and dear to my heart. And when that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this partnership with the Center for Farm Worker Families, you know, they're 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 really addressing the consequences of NAFTA and um, all the crazy immigration laws and the. Um, the way that people have been abused and had their, their farms, their livelihoods interrupted and their family life interrupted by having to work these long hours in the fields because of NAFTA, because of being forced from their own family farms and taken out of their, their country. And, you know, the, the terrible border crossings and the, the, you know, it's just like this really major disaster caused by the greed for profit on the part of big corporations and the introduction of, you know, genetically modified corn into Mexico, you know, there's this whole historic situation where people now are left with very little other than their cultural, you know, things, cultural, things of cultural importance, such as diet. And so when you're telling somebody like your, your diet is causing your diabetes, your diet is causing your heart disease, your diet is causing your, your blood pressure, your cholesterol to be so high. 
um, you know, you can't take away the last thing they have. So, you know, for us to find ways for them to understand, no, you know, the, 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 the flavors of your culture are not the problem. It's centering the meat, you know, and you can, you can have those same flavors. You can have those delicious tacos, those enchiladas, you know, the flan, the, the tinga, I made a tinga recipe, you know, out of mushrooms and um, you can have it. And then what's happening is that when you look at indigenous diets around the world, most of them are largely plant centric. Anyway, there's animal products, but there's not these ungodly amounts of animal products. So what you're doing is you're supporting people to decolonize their diet and go back to a more traditional way of eating. So, um, so I'm, I get really excited about that because for me, I, the oppression must be addressed. And if I can, you know, lift a little tiny bit of oppression from one person, you know, that feels like a, um, a major accomplishment. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, I feel very touched by the work that you're doing. And as a former school teacher who worked with at the time, I don't think I used the word underserved, but I definitely worked at Title I schools with children at risk who were children of undocumented um, immigrants, Mexican or Latinx immigrants because they came from all over. So I, I was starting to see as an elementary school teacher, the signs of, say, uh, weight issues and other things that these children are going to develop as a result of this. So you, you know, who reaches out to these communities, who helps educate them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're doing that is just so wonderful. I mean, it really touches me. Um, before we shift gears to the to how you and I and our subcommittee really want to help empower um, pod leaders before we go there, can you tell our listeners um, how, if they're interested in becoming part of Community Rx or bringing that um, program into their community, how they can get started? And is it only exclusive to the POT network, POT leaders? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. And I, I do want to um, back up a little too and say that the grant is going to make us be able to do it in a very, is going to support us in doing it in a very relevant way. We were able to do it with volunteers, but the grant is going to allow us to hire a dedicated worker who's bilingual and bicultural, who's embedded in the community. And that will be the main thing that the grant is paying for because the program itself is not that expensive to run. I think people would have to check with plant pure communities to see if they could use their community RX program. If they're not a pod, it has been opened up to pods for partnership and they have online events they have an online program. So it's a really good fit for certain communities. I mentioned that Sally, a, a colleague of ours, Sally had done it in Philadelphia and they did the, they had the program. Uh, they added a mentorship component, which Sally shared with us. And that's a really powerful and I think essential thing is for people to have a mentor. But otherwise, they primarily did the, the program as Plant Pure Communities has designed it. So all of their people, uh, use the online program. All of their people had the meal starters. They all did the biometric testing before and after. There, uh, Sally's group was partnered with some some doctors. For our community, it's it hasn't been such a fit. There's value in the in the online. It's a really great online program, and there's value for those members of our community that can access it. So we've gotten really good feedback on that from those members who are those participants that were able to 
to access it, but we have a lot of people who can't. Um, but if people want to to learn more about the specific program, they can certainly check out Plant Pure Communities or talk to their local pod about it. And I want to say that there's many ways to support people to make this transition. So if plant if if a, a community RX program isn't the right fit for you, then potentially partner with Veganuary or partner with Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. They have a 21-day app. Or Vegan Outreach, they have a 10 Weeks to Vegan program. And, you know, whatever you can do to encourage people to move toward it. Organizations or individuals who are taking leadership in their community can also create their own program. Maya, you referenced our 31 Days of Inspiration to Heal, which... Uh, which I did in collaboration with a couple of other women. And we brought in a lot of speakers in a 31-day period. We just brought in a lot of speakers and did workshops and opened it up through a Facebook group. So there's, you know, you can use a meetup group. There's many, many ways to get this message out and to encourage people to go whole food plant-based. Yes, that's great. And I'm glad that you brought up the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine because I try to promote their eight-week series every time they run them. And uh, my husband and I, uh, Dr. Riz, we we contribute when they ask us to. And so... um, there's a, a eight week course currently running and I think we're going to be featured in July where we offer tips, but I love it because it, it really is a comprehensive program that they have from the beginning of, you know, why you want to have more plant-based foods in, in your, in your life. And then how to navigate the grocery store, how to meal prep, um, what staples you want to have in your home. And so it just makes it very easy. So you're right, there are other programs and thank you for mentioning that. So let's talk about being part of the Pod Advisory Committee, which um, is sort of, it was organized, I want to say in 2021 to help support pod leaders in general. And I, it seems like every time we have a meeting, I get like really excited about it. I, I love being part of it and I'm excited about what we're going to do to support pod leaders who might have felt disconnected or who may feel, well, I'm no longer a leader. I don't meet with my group, therefore I'm not a leader. Um, If you'd like to say anything about that or add to that, and then let's talk about, by the time we release this episode, we will be headed towards August 27th, where we're creating an online course to support pod leaders. So you do have to be a leader to be part of this course. It's not open to everyone, but we're creating a series of classes to support people on August 27th and then other things that are coming up in October. And then hopefully at the end of the year, we'll have our pod leader holiday party. So would you like to add to that? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Maya. Yeah, it's been such a, an honor to uh, serve as part of the Pod Advisory Council for Plant Peer Communities and uh, to and to meet phenomenal leaders like Maya and others uh, as part of that. And Maya and I are both part of the events subcommittee. There's several subcommittees and we're part of the events subcommittee. And our events subcommittee started last year and we decided we wanted to primarily focus on what we could do to support pod leaders to both build their pods, to uh, engage their pods, and just to feel more solid and confident and competent as pod leaders. The event that Maya referenced that's coming up on August 27th is focused on supporting pod leaders to be able to be comfortable and competent in an online environment. And it could look like starting their own podcast or being guests on a 
on a podcast. It could look like doing um, food preparations classes or food demos online. It could look like being part of uh, or organizing conferences or webinars or events. Uh, It could be meeting regularly with their pods online. And even though we hope that we're moving to a time where we can all start meeting in person again, we know that online is here to stay. We're not very focused on on building websites or things, but we are supporting people through uh, through building engagement online, for instance, through social media. So it's a lot of different kinds of tools and tips and uh, and approaches to supporting pod leaders to be uh, to be more present and confident and competent in online environments. And it's a it's a full day event with five different workshops in it. And Maya and I and our colleagues on the on the events committee are putting it together and are facilitating these. And we're also bringing in a, an alum for one of our Michelle Tree from last year's uh, events subcommittee will be also joining us to, to be teaching this. So I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be really valuable, super inspiring and very engaging. Absolutely. And my goal with releasing these episodes as we approach August 27th was to have us for the subcommittee, the events subcommittee be featured first so that people can see who we are to learn a little bit about our story and why we're passionate about supporting our local group, but now supporting other pod leaders. And we know also that many people are still functioning through having this kind of hybrid experience. So some people are still connecting with their community via um, the virtual experience in a way. And then some people are, are slowly meeting outdoors. And so we want, we want to just continue to support you that way and give you the tools. And also we feel that by being connected this way, especially the pod advisory committee, the way that we connect, it's like we feel like it's a pod of its in its own. Um, and and so we're, we're feeling more connected and revived. And so we want to also help you know, provide that for you as well. So email either one of us. I'll, I'll have information in the show notes so that you can find out more. If you're listening and you're a pod leader, we would love to share more details and invite you to uh, join us on August 27th. It will be a live um, presentation with uh, different classes. How many classes do we have? Five. We have five. Five. Okay, some of those might be pre-recorded, but all of us will be available to answer questions. So we want you to join us and to kind of have, you know, feel connected to us, ask us questions, and then we can continue from that point on to tell you more about um, other upcoming events. Um, and speaking of things that are coming up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listener, um, Beth, anything that E for the Earth is doing or anything you're doing with Climate Healers, if you'd like to kind of plug that as well? Yeah, thank you. That's perfect, Maya. Climate Healers is a, an organization with whom E for the Earth collaborates, and um, Maya has actually participated with Climate Healer, Healers events as well. And the the founder of Climate Healers is Dr. Silas Rao. Maybe may, many people may have heard of him. And they have many audacious goals, and I'm so excited to be part of the Climate Healers community. The next upcoming event is the uh, is the 
It's called Vegan Convergence of the People. It used to be called Vegan 2026 Convergence or something like that. But it's called Vegan Convergence of the Peoples. And it's the it, it will be on uh, August 6th and 7th. And it's a free event, a low-cost event. You can get free tickets or you can pay a, a small fee to go. I forgot about that. But it's a, a weekend packed full of all kinds of opportunities for learning, for connection, for networking, for inspiration. I find it incredibly uh, important for activists who are working in this movement or for even for people who are eating plant-based, whether active or not, that it's incredibly important that we surround ourselves with community, that we find like-minded people. It's it's really countercultural to eat plant-based or vegan. And it's really super countercultural to eat whole food, plant-based, oil-free. So we need support. We need community. And so not like Climate Healers is whole food, you know, like everybody there is whole food, plant-based, uh, <laughs> oil-free, but it's a community where we come together with like-minded people who are not eating animals, who do not believe that animals are here for our pleasure, and who are who are embracing a plant-based movement and working toward a plant-based world. And it's uh, it's very inspirational. They have some big-name speakers. They have movie releases sometimes for the first time. New movies come out, and you get a chance to talk with the uh, producers. There are uh, workshops. There are panel discussions. It's very rich and very diverse. So I encourage people to go to climatehealers.org and look for that. And then what's super exciting is that this convergence is focused on preparations for World Food Healers Day, which is November 19th, I believe. And World Food Healers Day has the audacious goal of feeding 1 billion people a whole food plant-based meal. Actually, they're planning on feeding them a universal meal, which uh, PCRM, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, has uh, promoted, which is a, a meal that, that conforms to many, many dietary different diets, including whole food plant-based. So that's the audacious goal. But the stretch goal is to feed 8 billion people a whole food plant-based meal on that day, which is feed everyone on the entire planet to demonstrate that it can be done if we're, if we're focusing on plants. And Eat for the Earth is part of that. And many, many other organizations, as you can imagine, to feed that many people, you need to collaborate very broadly. And, <laughs> and so Eat for the Earth is, is organizing other, other groups like-minded groups in our county that will all take, we'll, we'll each set our own goal of how many, how many meals we're going to provide. We'll reach out to restaurants, see if we can get restaurants involved. And this is a free meal that anybody can, can access. So that is uh, something to get really excited about. It's, it's timed to be right after the, um, the next uh, Congress of the Parties, United Nations Congress of the Parties that's convening to talk about the climate crisis because the the convergences of the parties, the COP events, have not really taken this issue seriously enough. And so this will be right after that event. 
And if you have any links, especially for the one coming up in August, August 6th and 7th for the vegan convergence of the peoples, I would love to have that in the show notes as well and okay. see if people can, you know, uh, sign up for that. That's This is a wonderful way to plug it and support, get more involved in supporting the planet, especially with Dr. Salish Rao being part of it. And then, of course, Eat for the Earth that supports and is part of all of this work. And they, they if they can't make the August Uh, 6th and 7th. There's also one on uh, November 5th and 6th. It's a quarterly event. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so we'll... And E for the Earth is going to be presenting in the the upcoming one, the August. E for the Earth is is organizing two panels on the topic of food justice. And we're... The first panel, we are going to have uh, scientists from... uh, Two scientists from the UK... And uh, our our colleague and and pod leader Jackie Solomon from Arizona, uh, and at least one other person who will be talking about causes and consequences of food injustice. And the second panel is going to feature three different projects that address food injustice. One of them in the Gaza Strip in Israel, where Israel is intentionally starving the Gazans uh, as a way, as a means of control. And so there's a group in there, Plant the Land, that is uh, supporting the people to be able to be food sufficient by planting their own food. And we'll have two representatives from Plant the, the Land there, as well as, uh, again, Jackie Solomon talking about the work, incredible food justice work they're doing in Arizona with whole food, plant-based uh, eating. And then um, our Community Rx program will be on that okay. as well. Wonderful. Uh, Eat for the Earth's website is eatfortheearth.org. Um, and so we'd love for you to go check it out, see what we're doing. And I, I always encourage people to check out Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org, climatehealers, climatehealers.org. Um, I love Vegan Outreach. It's another group. I believe it's veganoutreach.org. Um, and uh, Plant Pure Communities is a great one. Uh, I think that's plantpurecommunities.org. And then the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies, if you want to go deeper in your in your studies of nutrition. Um, I believe Maya has a certificate from there, and I do as well. And they have a very comprehensive but accessible course to learn about whole food plant-based nutrition. And I, I always want to throw in when we're speaking with Plan Pure community pod leaders, uh, watch Plan Pure Nation. Uh, you can still watch it on YouTube free of charge. This that's the movie that got me excited in terms of becoming a pod leader when I understood that we're fighting a, big, a huge fight. And I don't even like to use the word fight, but there's a huge battle going on. And the only way that we're able that we are actually going to be able to create this changes at a grassroots level. And this is what it looks like to do it at a grassroots level, what Beth is doing with her community, what I'm doing on my end and pod leaders in general. So that's the movie that will get you motivated to understand why we need to act now. Yeah. Love that movie. I cry every time I watch it. (laughs) So inspiring. I I feel like that's the first step. Watch that one. And then, of course, there are so many other documentaries. So many others. Yeah. So many others. Yeah. Beth, it's been a pleasure. I'm so happy that you were able to come on again on the podcast to share everything that's going on with your organization. And then, of course, just what you're doing on your own to raise awareness about how we can support our planet. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm deeply grateful for, for your work in this world and for our friendship. Yes, me too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Food justice is a basic human right. We all deserve to have access to healthy food and nutrition information. Beth is helping to support marginalized communities at a local level while having a global impact, which involves protecting our planet. If you're interested in becoming a community leader, please visit planpeercommunities.org. Please share your thoughts about today's conversation. Simply go to speakpipe.com forward slash HLS and leave me a voicemail about today's episode for a chance to be played in a future episode. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave an honest review as well at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. And as always, thank you for being a listener. 